Amen. Good morning. It is so good to see you guys here and also along. I hope you caught that song. I hope you were not just kind of going through. Sometimes we, when we do, do church, we put it into to neutral and kind of, because I hope you were relishing every word of that because that was a communal uh, declaration of, of, of great hope for this next season at Northland. Do it again, God. There's this, been this amazing legacy that we've got that we're now moving into a new season, and we're in this transition time. And if you're new to Northland, uh, you'll figure it out soon enough that we've got uh, uh, almost four decades of God's faithfulness here at this church that we're now stewarding as we move into a new season. And if you are new with us, my name is Matt, and along with Pastor Vernon, he and I are co-leading during this transition. And dreaming together along with you. And we talked last week about it being such a critical season and such an exciting season and embracing both of those. And it's been an amazing privilege to journey with Vernon. And he and I have known each other for two decades. We met in kindergarten, but uh, it's been... It's been an amazing ride. This past week, we were up in Chicago meeting with a couple of guys that are smarter than us, bouncing off ideas regarding this season for Northland Church. And I want to encourage you to be praying. Let's roll up our sleeves. It's, it's rare that you got this kind of opportunity, that uh, if, when we can have the opportunity to be a part of, somebody told me last night, it's kind of like a reboot. It's a relaunch. It's us building on this rich foundation and moving into a new season, new open water. And it's rare that you, we get the privilege of being involved in something so significant in the life and story and ministry of a, of a church. Be praying. Be praying for our staff. We're going through some fun stuff of looking at what does it look like to be a, a healthy team who's also a community, and a team and community relationally and productivity and fruitfulness moving together and learning, building on what has already happened, but dreaming about what can be in our environment and where we're headed. Pray for the elders. Tomorrow, we've got an offsite beginning to do a little bit of dreaming about what are the major priorities, what, are, what I refer to as the big rocks that need to go in the jar first during this next season. People, some of you have asked, well, what can we do as congregation right now? Because you're catching it. People are catching the excitement of saying, this is, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to seize the day in, in, in this season. What I would say is pray, and I don't, I'm not referring to just rotely, Lord bless North, I'm talking about pray. It is a critical time. There's a lot hanging in the balance. Intercede as a family, as small groups, and that we would hear God well all together. It's not just leadership, but it's you and us. Uh, re relate with one another. It's not just coming, church isn't about just coming and staring at the back of somebody's head for an hour and a half on a Sunday when it's convenient. It's about walking together, finding your community, doing life in a neighborhood, in an office. As Marty mentioned earlier, there are plenty of those kind of opportunities. Seize them or start your own. We've given you a guide if you want to go through along with this series. You've got a study guide here that can walk you through as a small group, and you can start this week uh, about that. Reflecting Christ to other people is another thing that you can do to this community. Inviting people, saying, you want to come, come and explore what this is about. We're, we're excited about this next season. Giving. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's a huge thing because all we've got, everything I have, my time, my abilities, my resources, my, my finances are his. And so it's remembering that we've got to partner together. That's a, that is very important right now during a vulnerable season. If you're not a follower of Christ, you know what? Before the giving thing, you deal with the gospel. And once Jesus has you, all of a sudden it becomes a natural response to, to, to who he is. And serving, that's another thing you can do, rolling up your sleeves and saying, hey, how about if I serve in this way? Our abilities are there. So it's us saying, let's get going. And that's what the excitement of the season is about. I'm grateful to be in it with you. And I'm looking forward to these coming days. So you're going to be praying about that and look at those other items. You know, they say, he uh, who leads and has nobody with him is only taking a walk. So um, I want to make sure our leadership's not just taking a walk. You guys in this? Okay. Part of what we're doing to help to, to, to dictate the, the music of this dance is the Word of God being our ultimate authority and the gospel being our focus. So we're 
opening up the book of Philippians. It's Paul's letter. It's an epistle that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, a Roman colony 2,000 years ago. And in writing to the Philippians, he writes to us as Northland. We're calling it the giant secret of joy, based on a quote by G.K. Chesterton, that the gospel enables us to know joy in the midst of whatever circumstances we might be facing. World's definition of joy is, hey, if I got everything, all circumstances just right, I can be joyful. The gospel says in the midst of the darkness, you can whistle. In the midst of situations that are less than perfect. And the power of Philippians is one of the dominant themes. It's not the only theme, but it's a dominant theme of Philippians. It's joy. And the power of that is the context from which Paul is writing. He's writing in prison. He's at least house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. Four times in chapter one, he mentions these chains. And he says, in the midst of this, he's writing to a Philippian church that's dealing with some difficult stuff. He's saying, choose joy. Let's learn to whistle together. So, two weeks ago, Vernon gave you a background. Last week, gave you an overview of what Philippians is about. And I'd encourage you, if you weren't here for either of those, catch them online. Today, we're starting with verse 1, chapter 1. We're going to start going through this epistle one paragraph at a time. So as we start, I'd like to ask you to stand, and let's read God's Word together. Here it read over you. And you can, if you've got your worship folder, you can follow along there, or you can follow along on the screens. By the way, if you don't have a Bible... We'll give you one. Just go back to the table back there and say the redheaded guy said it's on him. Put it on his tab. I, I guess they will. I don't know how that works, but let's eat, let, let, let's savor the word of God together. Some of you might come from traditions where, for the reading of the word, you, we stand. We don't always do that, but always it's a time for us to say the king of the universe is speaking into our lives, into your journey right now. I don't know what's going on there, but you do, and he does. The word of God speaks into that and speaks into us together. So hear the word of God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus, at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's just spoken to us. Let's speak back to him, and I'll try to vocalize a little of what's going on in this room. Let's speak to him, our teacher. Lord Jesus, so here we are. We're not just in a church service. We're not just watching online. We're in the midst of our stories, our journeys, and I'm grateful for every person here in this auditorium and every person online for the fact that you've assembled us to speak into us, yes, as individuals, but very importantly, to speak into us as a community, as a large community that gathers to celebrate in a catalytic, generative way, but then in smaller communities within the larger one. The fact that we're standing not just in a church service, but in our stories means that we're right now, many of us are standing 
in a ton of stress. Now, some of us might be riding high and at the top of the hill and everything's gone well this past week, but we've been living long enough to know we're in a fallen world and that will change. Difficulty does come, but there's some others of us that are under the pile right now. And this whole notion of joy is something that intrigues us, but it also can maybe even mock us, thinking, how can I know joy given what I'm dealing with financially or in this relational conflict or in this besetting sin or this difficulty at the office? Even who we are as a church, it's a season of change, and change makes us nervous and uncomfortable and unsettled. Well, there are so many needs here, and there's no way the human words and wisdom can address it. So I confess in their presence that this will be a waste of time unless what I say is rooted in your word, enabled by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, come speak into your people. Speak into a community called Northland. You know what's at stake far more than we do. May we listen, realizing our lives, our journey, depends on it. I ask this not on the basis of my own merit, but on the basis of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. Well, like Paul, who put quill to parchment while he was in prison... This particular gentleman, he put pencil to paper, but he was also in prison. It's a couple of thousand years after Paul. And this gentleman I'm talking about was prisoner number 35333. He was in Stalag 8A. That's what the Germans called it. It was one of their concentration camps during World War II. The year was 1940. The location was Grilich, Germany, where this camp was. It now is in Poland, but back then it was in Germany. And prisoner 35333, his name was Olivier Messiaen. He was a French musician, pianist, he was a composer. He joined the French army, and in May of 1940, during the upheaval in France and the fall of Paris, he, as well as a number of other of his fellow soldiers, were captured. They were herded off to a field outside of Paris for 10 days. They were like cattle gathered. There was, in, there was a lack of sanitary conditions, barely enough water, no food. 10 days. Only after that to be herded into cattle cars, how tragically appropriate. And Messiaen and his fellow prisoners got jammed into these cattle cars and they, that train began the clickety-clack of despair towards an unknown place that I knew, they knew would not be pleasant. And Stalag 8A was not pleasant. But Messiaen was a follower of Jesus. In fact, later in his life, he wrote that he always composed his music to point people to Jesus Christ. While he was in a, the cattle car, while he was on the train, he saw somebody that he knew from his days in Paris composing music, a clarinetist, a professional clarinet player. He shared with him some scraps of paper that he had been writing, and he said, it's a piece of music, wondering maybe I've been composing it, now that I see you here, maybe we could work on it together. Messiaen was a pianist. He, of course, said, I'm sure there's not a, a piano at a prison camp, but we can think the music in our, in our heads and our hearts. But he showed him what he had already written on a scrap piece of paper, and they got to Stalag 8A, and met a couple of other musicians. One was a professional cello player from Paris. They didn't know well, but had heard of. 
There was no cello to be found. Another was a violin player. And Messiaen started thinking, he says, you know what, I'm going to broaden my piece to include these other two instruments. So he wrote a quartet for a violin, a cello, a clarinet, and B-flat, and a piano. It's a very unusual quartet. Classical music historians think there's only two times that they can see before this where those four instruments were brought together. Messiaen based his composition on Revelation chapter 10 that speaks of the mystery of God being revealed. He called his piece a quartet, a quartet for the end of time. Quartet pour la fin du temps. It's eight movements, lasts about 50 minutes. He worked on it throughout the summer and the fall of 1940 on pieces of paper that guards had smuggled in for him because they got wind of who this guy was and they'd give him pencils. It's eight movements. And over 50 minutes, these eight movements are performed and the last movement is called in praise to the immortality of Jesus. And he says it's a spiritual, it's a symbol of spiritual renewal in the darkest of times. They took up a collection and got a beat up cello, did the same with a violin, clarinet, had a beat up spinet upright piano. And on January the 15th, 1941, 400 prisoners and, and a few guards stood for 50 minutes in the freezing rain and listened to the debut of Quatia pour la fille du temps. Music in the midst of the darkness. You guys interested in what it sounded like? Well, if, okay, well, we can go on then. You guys interested in what it sounded like? <laughs> well, it's 50 minutes. I don't know if you have lunch plans, but... Um... So here's a clip, it's just a little less than a minute. It gives you some images of Stalag 8A and Olivier Messiaen, the other guys. It's going to surprise you. It might not be what you're expecting in the type of music, but it was music of hope. It was a quartet of hope, a quartet even of the joy of hoping in the gospel. Take a listen. sing along? <laughs> it's complicated. In fact, you ask classical musicians and they'll tell you that is, it's one difficult piece. But how appropriate in the midst of such a difficult situation. Messiaen years later wrote that never have I been listened to with such rapt attention and comprehension. It was a combination, it was not, e would you think it was easy to compose a quartet to compose music in the midst of such awful conditions? No, it wasn't easy to get four instruments together. They were beat up instruments. Keep seeing the parallels here. A quartet in the midst of a concentration camp. How about 2,000 years before that, a guy named Paulus, another guy named Silas, were in a Roman colony called Philippi. They were preaching the gospel. A young woman was delivered of a demon and she could no longer do her soothsaying and fortune telling. She lost her masters a lot of money. You heard about this two weeks ago. They arranged to have Paul and Silas thrown in prison. 
Do you remember what happened in prison? Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, hello, and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. A quartet in a concentration camp, hymns in a Philippian jail. And last week we talked about the power of the gospel that Paul exemplifies in writing Philippians is that it enables us to whistle in the dark. It's not a wishful whistle where we're just kind of pretending everything's fine, but it's a deep resounding whistle that Jesus is enough. And sometimes that whistle of joy is in a minor key. That quartet, joy is not always in a major key. It's not always with a smile. Sometimes it's minor key with tears streaming down our face, but we're still confident in the gospel, confident in the enoughness of Jesus. So last night we had some whistling, last week we had some whistling lessons. So where, where, where's a whistler? I need to hear a whistle right now, just with somebody, one. Okay, there's one over here. I got a narrow end. Where was it? Somebody right, I need, I need somebody. There's one. Okay, that one that just went off. Do it again. Raise your hand. I need to find out where you are. You're not raising your hand. You're just kind of haunting me. Oh, there you are. Okay. Let's, let's do it. Just loud. Give, give it to me here. Awesome. All right. Just depresses me that people can do that, but nevertheless, they can. Now, that was one. Pretty cool, yes? Now, I want all of you, those of you who do this, do this, do this, those of you who just do the little round lip thing, you know, whatever it is, everybody whistle on the count of three. Ready? It's, a, it's like a symphony. Ready? One, two, three. All right. That sounded a little bit like the quartet for the end of time. But did you get the power of that? I mean, it's, it's, it's significant for one person to whistle. How much more for community to whistle in the dark together? A community to together embrace the reality. A community of some are clarinets and some are cellos and some are violins or violas or pianos or some other instrument, a community who together embraces the reality that the gospel is a concerto that is composed in chaos. Who embrace the reality that beauty can come from ashes. That brokenness is where the gospel is most powerfully experienced. A, a community that embraces the reality that shalom can be experienced in the midst of the storm. Not just on either side of it. A community that together whistles in the dark. So last week we looked at the overview, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And saying, what's the key to whistling in the dark? Looked at those four keys, number one in chapter one. It's not the only theme in chapter one, but it's one of them. Gospel priority, I need to, my life needs to revolve around Jesus, not expecting him to revolve around me. Chapter two, I, I need to also, to be able to whistle in the dark, in the dark I need to, to embrace gospel community where I reflect Jesus to you and you reflect him to me and we reflect him to a watching world. Third chapter, one of the big themes in that chapter is for me to be able to whistle, I need to embrace gospel intimacy. The gospel allows me to be intimately relate and to know him, to talk with him, to relate with him, to relate with Jesus. In chapter four is gospel sufficiency. A key to joy is embracing the sufficiency of the gospel, the sufficiency, the enoughness of who Jesus is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I pray about it all. I rely on him. So today we're coming into chapter one. We're going to start going through it verse by verse. This gospel priority revolving around Jesus and doing it together. And what we're going to talk about today is prevailing as a community. Being a community that prevails, that rises above the immediate situation and believes the gospel together. That's what these four guys were doing and they breathed hope into Stalag 8a. We're in nothing of the sort in terms of the difficulty of that, but we are, as a church, in a time of transition, and what will be the difference for us to, instead of just back up and watch what's happening, but together link arms and prevail during the season, what will be involved? Let's go through verses 1 through 11, figure out what can enable us to prevail 
as a community, and it will involve four catalysts. Let's look at them one at a time. Catalyst number one, and this is for us, large group, large celebration. It's for you as a small accountability group, small Bible study, a community, maybe that you're about to start. Here we go. Catalyst number one for us to be able to prevail together as a community is embracing the reality of our shared journey. To know we're going to share our journey. We're going to do life together. Finding a group of people to do life together. Then we get we get together in large group once a week and we celebrate. But during the week, there's there's that connection of doing life together. What's that that that, that um, shared journey look like? Well, um, you guys know Netflix. Thank you. Um, I love Netflix. I don't have time. Arlene's, our schedule is such that we rarely have time, but every now and then go in there, and I just love it because I feel like it's free. It's not free. I'm paying for it every month, but I don't have to pay anything at that moment. I don't have to click purchase now. It just stresses me out when I have to click that on the TV. I just say play, and we were browsing around, and you've got the TV show section, and there was a, 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 the TV section. I saw the title Cheers. It's of a TV show that was real popular about 85, 90 years ago. <laughs> Even you younger people, you might not know Cheers, but you know Woody Harrelson. That's where he got his start. And, but what caught my eye was it said season one, episode one. I said, I, I remember Cheers. I remember reruns of Cheers at least. I don't, ever, I don't think I've ever seen season one, episode one. So I told Arlene, I said, let's watch it. Clicked on free, you know. What was the first thing that came on? Come on, what, what did I hear first? There, that opening song. Making your way in the world today. I mean, it's taken all I've got right in here to not sing it, which would just be a traumatic experience for you. Making your way in the world today. Takes everything you've got. This, Cheers is about life in a pub in downtown Boston. It's a bar. And it's about the regulars who come in. And so as you're starting to meet them in the opening credits, this is the song that's playing. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where... <laughs> Look at you guys, you're impressive. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You want to be where you're known. Is that a bar or a church? I think it's both. In fact, the beauty of the church is that we've got such substantive hope. The sad, tragic part is sometimes, even on a superficial level, people experience at a bar what they long to experience at church. But we just kind of stare at the back of somebody's head for an hour and a half, but we never get to know people. We never get into smaller contexts and have a shared journey and do life together. What will that look like? I want to go back to the text I want to go through it phrase by phrase. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, and then verse 7 and 8. And this is something that you can use in your own study. This is something that I do. It's where I'll take it in each phrase. Okay, what is he conveying there? What does a shared journey look like? Here's some, here's some key phrases, and then I'm just throwing out some words that are involved. I know what they're doing. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. What are they revealing there about what they're doing? Humility. Servants. I mean, right off the bat, instead of these prideful people coming together and saying, hey, who, who's going to do what I want? It's coming together in humility. Later in verse 1, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. You know what he's doing there? He's affirming them. There's affirmation. When, we're, when you're experiencing shared journey, there's humility present. 
When you're experiencing shared journey in the shadow of the gospel, whistling in the dark together, learning to prevail together, be humility. There's also an affirmation. He's telling them, you're God's holy people. It's not due to your own track records because of the gospels. Christ's finished work on the cross for you makes you a holy people set apart. Uh, At the end of verse one, together with the overseers and the deacons. We're together. We're doing this as a community. We're doing this as a team. Keep going. Verse two, grace and peace to you. Do you hear what he's saying? He's wishing the best for them. When there's a group of people that I'm sharing the journey with, they're, they're wishing the best for me. They're yearning for my welfare. Keep going, verse two, from God our Father. Pay attention there, our Father. We're family. You're my sister, you're my brother. And we're family. And we're doing this thing, we're gonna figure out this storm together, this darkness, whatever it might be. Keep going, verse two, and and the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ's full title. Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one in whom, for whom, by whom all things, were made and are created, as Paul writes to the Colossians. You know what he's saying there? He's just reminding them, hey, just a little reminder, you're on the winning side. Christus Victor, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not here just kind of, hey, I don't know if we'll make it through. We are gathered together underneath the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is assured, we're on the right side. And then in verse three, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. What's that? That's appreciation. When's the last time that somebody conveyed to me appreciation? When's the last time, more importantly, that I conveyed to somebody else, hey, I appreciate you. I just thank my God every time I remember you. Verse four, he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What's he revealing there about what a shared journey looks like? Privileged intercession. Do you know what? I've got the privilege of praying for you. You've got the privilege of praying for me. We, we engage in that privilege together. It's not a religious duty. It's an opportunity for us to say, you know what? We're getting knocked around here. We need, to, we need to lift one another up in prayer. Keep going. Verse seven, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Do you see the consideration that he has for them? There's an esteem. When I'm doing a shared journey with you, I'm, I'm considering you, I'm walking with you. There's not this, we, we live in a self-dominated world. I, I, I travel a bit, I tell you what, I don't know there's any place that rivals airports and airplanes to bring out people's selfishness. I want to board first, I want that seat. You know, people are ignoring one another. There's no consideration of people. I watch people walking down the concourse and they're not paying attention to anyone except for their phone or whatever. And all of a sudden you do a shared journey, you start paying attention to each other. Esteeming each other as, as people of dignity and value. Keep going, verse seven. And whether I am in chains, you know what? The shared journey will involve difficulty. It's not always roses. Sometimes it's thorns. But there are other times that it excites. He says, or defending and confirming the gospel. It's taking new ground. He says, you know what? We're going to share this journey, whether it's difficulty and chains or taking new ground together. This is a season. One of the things that gets me so excited about this season, the uniqueness, is we get to take some new ground together as a church, as a people. And to share this journey together, he keeps going. He says, all of you share in God's grace with me. (laughs) There's an extension of grace. Me extending substantive grace. Not cheap grace, but substantive grace to you. You do the same with me. I lived in Michigan years ago. And I don't know if it's when I was living there or visited there one time. But I saw a newspaper article. uh, About special Olympics that had happened the day before. It was the state finals, 3,000 competitors in the Special Olympics. And this person writing the article was saying, you know what, it was just, it was the same as any other Olympic event with one dramatic exception. The most pronounced difference between the Special Olympics and other Olympics, this writer said, were the huggers. 
volunteers that had the official title of being huggers. This writer said they're all over the place. When people come to the finish line, the huggers are there waiting on them. You don't make it to the finish line, the huggers come after you to give you a hug. Before you take off in the finish line, the huggers come up to tell you it's going to be awesome. You get over to the side, you watch other people, a hugger will just come over and hug you. Paul's saying, hey, I'm, I want to hug you with the grace of God. I want to extend the substantive grace of the cross to you. Keep going, verse 8. God can testify. What's he reveal there about a shared journey? You know what he's saying? He says, you know what? God is my witness. In other words, authenticity. I want to relate with you. God can testify how my posture towards you. So, what you're seeing in me is something that goes deep and God sees it. And so there's an authenticity there. Keep going. Verse 8, he says, how I long for all of you. It's a priority there. I mean, I want to be with you guys. In my small group, I want to be with them. Those relationships, I want to be with them. There's a priority there. Keep going. One more, verse 8, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, the word affection by itself might lead you to think, well, it's just kind of a cheap feelings-oriented sentimentality, but he says with the affection of Christ Jesus, which is a game changer. It's agape. It's the love of Christ. It's substantive. So go back through that list. What is a shared journey? What will it involve in, in your Bible study, in that prayer group at church with some friends that you connect with regularly doing all sorts of stuff, maybe some of the, the activities that Marty mentioned early? What will it look like? It'll involve humility and affirmation and community and wishing the best one another and a sense of family and a sense of assured victory and appreciation and intercession and consideration of one another and difficulty and taking new ground and extending grace and authenticity and priority and love. I'm telling you what, that's a group of people I want to be doing life with. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's that... That's far more. I'm hoping that's wetting your appetite. It's far more than staring at the back of somebody's head for an hour and a half. Now, that's not, this is not to say this, not, this, is, this needs to happen because it's us getting together and getting calibrated together. It's kind of coming to Antioch, coming to the larger church in Jerusalem, and then but making sure those smaller communities keep going. For us to prevail, we're going to have to embrace our shared journey. Whatever you got going on, maybe in your small group, how will you prevail? Share journey. Second catalyst, as we go back to the text, shared calling. For us to prevail, we've got to embrace our shared calling. We've both been called by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all been called by him. Go back to the text. Look at verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, you know what? I'm so grateful that you and I are partners in this thing. We got a shared calling. Well, the story of the, the mother who was watching her son, who's his first year in the marching band. And it was at the homecoming parade, and she's watching, and she's on the side of the street and gets all excited and calls out to her friend, look at, look at Timmy. I'm so proud of him. He's the only one who's in step. Some of you are going to need to think about that for a little bit. It's vital for us to be in step with one another. A common calling. Verse 27 of Philippians 1. We'll get to this later in our series, Whatever Happens, he says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit. And then we got four words. What are they? Striving together as one. Let me hear you say them together as one. Ready? Striving together as one. That's a shared calling for the faith of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. I, I've given the staff and the elders little index cards and said right on one side, answer this question, why Northland? Don't put your name on it, just want to know. Why was I doing that? I'm wanting to see how shared of a calling we have right now. It doesn't mean that's where it's going to end. It just means that's where we start. Moving into us understanding whatever it is, us listening to God together, 
and saying, let's take this hill as a community who's whistling in the midst of the dark. Let's do it together. And understand, it's the gospel that brings us together. The gospel is what we do together. The gospel is what propels us out into, a li- into the world in a life with a life-giving calling. And it's understanding our, co- our calling is a common calling, and we're journeying together in the midst of that. Here's a third catalyst. How do we prevail? How do you prevail as a family? How do we prevail as a small group? How do we prevail as a Bible study, as a work team, a service team? How do we prevail as a church? We've got to embrace our shared journey, do life together. We've got to embrace our shared calling. We listen to him together. We've also got to embrace our shared hope. Doing life together involves sharing hope with one another. And there are times that you've got hope going on and I don't. This has happened this week for me. I've had a couple of deep bouts. Some of you are saying, boy, you said that last week. Uh Uh-huh. I'll probably say it again the next time we talk. Because when you're in the midst of the battle, you have those moments. You have those moments when you get hit and set back and discover something new. And it, it puts you on your heels a little bit. But when we're journeying together, all of a sudden somebody around me can remind me, Jesus will finish what he started. Go back to the text, verse 6. You talk about a refrigerator verse. Here it is. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you imagine? This is Paul in prison, chained to a stinking, cruel Roman guard, saying, guys, I'm confident of this. To the Philippians who were struggling with financial things, with relational things, I'm sure with sickness things, on and on it goes. And he says, I'm confident of this. He who began a good work in you, he ain't done. He's going to complete it. And that's what community does is we, we, we become buffers. Because there are times that discouragement is right next to me, and you come and get in between us. This past, I told you Vernon and I went up to Chicago this week to meet with a couple of people to dream a bit about this season of, of Northland Church. Well, I used to live in Chicago years ago, planted a church there. And we scheduled this trip before I knew the Cubs were going to be in the playoffs in Chicago. Man, I started hearing a different take on God's will for my life this week. So um, we flew up on Tuesday and met met Tuesday night and all day Wednesday, and then we were going to be flying back Wednesday night. On the flight up, I started thinking, you know what? I mean, I've never been to a Cubs playoff game, partially because they used to never be in the playoffs. And I've never, I've been to Wrigley Field many times, but never for a playoff environment. And then Tuesday night, they got killed, if you remember, score-wise. But you know what happens there? Ticket prices go down for the next night. Well, I fly enough. I was able to change a flight, no charge. Called some friends that had been involved in this church plant with me years ago and said, hey, any chance I could? They said, absolutely. So I show up at the Cubs game on Wednesday night. Now, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, you'll know the deal here. The Cubs were down three to nothing in the National League Championship Series against the Dodgers. It was, everything's on the line. They lose the game, the series is over. I walk in the stadiums before the game, uh, maybe 10 minutes or so before opening pitch. I mean, it's electric. I got my ticket that I got really cheap. I was really proud of that. And I'm going up to row 17 in a particular section. I followed up 17. I'm in seat three. So I get up to 17. I'm looking at that. So I haven't really looked up. Just look. There's seats. The row 17. Great. And then I look up and my heart sinks. It's in seat one and two. I'm in three. Seat one and two were a couple of Dodgers fans. <laughs> Ginormous Dodgers fans. I mean... They had the jerseys going, and it's not enough, though, to have an official Dodgers jersey with Rivera and whatever else they had on the back. One of them had Rivera. I'm trying to think. Uh, Puig, I think, is what the other one had on the back. They've got Dodgers T-shirts. So it's not just on the outside, on the inside. I don't know what kind of socks they had on, but they, it was, they were Dodger outfitted, the Dodger hats, bling going. And uh, I stop, and they get the idea, okay, I'm sitting over there. So they were too big for me to get past them, so they stepped out. So I'm walking through, I notice, and one of them's cup holder were four empty. This is before the first pitch. And one of them's cup holder were four empty, empty beer cups, and he's holding one. The other one had three empty beer cups, and he's holding one. They had gotten an early start. I thought, this is going to be interesting. 
These guys were already lit up and the game hadn't even started yet. So then I get to seat three and in seat four is this guy, I'm guessing mid, late 60s. Um, I found out later, we got to know each other really well. He's been in the Chicago police officer for 25 years. Uh, season ticket holder for 30 some odd years. He looks at me and he had this stressed look on his face of saying, I mean, because these two Dodgers fans were right there and they were already, they were going, they were loud and, and they didn't care that they were the only ones around. And this guy looks at me thinking, I think initially he thought he's with them. But then he looked up at my hat. There was a similar color, you know, to the Dodgers hat. But then he saw the Cubs logo. And he says, oh, I am so glad to see you. <laughs> so I sat down. And between him and the Dodgers fans, they were just letting them, you know, they were just hurling, playfully some, but still hurling all this discouragement to all the Cubs fans around. And the second inning, this guy bought me some peanuts. I said, you don't need to buy me any peanuts. He says, oh, yes, I do. You're being a buffer between me and them. He had this classic Chicago accident. You know, in the whole game, he's patting me on the knee. I, Matt, I'm so glad that you're here between them and me. And then about sixth, seventh inning, he says, so what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, how appropriate is that for you as a pastor be to be the buffer between me and Dodgers fans? <laughs> oh, his, name, his name's Robbie. I've got his card. He says, you got to email me. You... Some of you need a buffer right now. You need a buffer. You need somebody between you and the discouragement. You need somebody between you and the discouragement telling you, he who began a good work in you, he's going to complete it. Others of you need to be a buffer today for somebody in your life and journey that is being assaulted by discouragement. We need to share hope together. Let me give you the last one real quick catalysts for us to prevail together, not just kind of go Sunday to Sunday, weekend to weekend, but to prevail during the season into this new chapter of Northland Church will involve us embracing a shared journey together. It will involve us embracing a shared calling together. It will involve us embracing a shared hope together, but it'll also involve us embracing a shared priority together. Fourth catalyst is shared priority. Go back to the text. Verse 9 and 10 and 11, he says, and this is my prayer, guys. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to, four words, discern what is best. Say them out loud, please. Discern what is best. It's a classic good being the enemy of the best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He says, you need a shared priority. You need to discern what is best together. And, you know, churches are no different anywhere else. Everybody's got their, their, their hobby horses and their, their, their hills that they're willing to die on. And in the midst of the battle, it's time to come together with shared priorities, to listen to God together. Because I have this... Because of the fall, I have an acute ability to lower in value the things that God seems to be value and to elevate in values the things that God says are not very valuable. We all do. And I need you walking with me to say, hey, Matt, I'm not sure that one's that important. I think you're right. And to do it together and start understanding that our calling right now as a church is to listen together to the priorities that God is placing before Northland Church for this time. And it's not just a matter of recovering what once was. It is a matter of seizing what is to be for such a time as this. Everything's on schedule in Northland Church's plan. What Jesus is up to, he's up to with great intentionality. And he says, but it's not going to happen in the midst of the dark 
darkness and the challenge and the storm maybe of this transition, what needs to happen is for us to prevail together. We prevail together by sharing our journey, sharing our calling, sharing our hope, sharing the priorities of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for a city, a community, and a world that desperately needs to hear us whistling and performing a quartet in the midst of the darkness together to give them hope, to give them priority, to give them a common calling, and to give them the gospel. And so it's a matter of us doing this, doing this together. A lot of you know, because of what I've shared before, I have three sons. They're, they're out of the house now, but I love those boys. And over the years, we do a lot of life together in, in the mountains of Colorado. Love camping together. And one thing over the years I've talked to them about a lot is, guys, your brother, your blood brothers, but you're also brothers in Christ. That's a unique combination. Seize it, and you're going to be going into tons of storms in your journey. Stay together. Even if you're in different cities, figure out how to stay up to date. And, and, and they're doing that. Just about every week, they connect with a Skype or Zoom call, the three of them. Accountability, encouragement, getting in each other's grills about something or encouraging one another. When they were in younger, like junior high, we were out on a camping trip. I was, I was talking about this. And I was talking about them, you've got to stay together. You don't say the enemy will want to isolate you. And I took a poker, you know, one of just a long stick we'd been using to poke around the fire. And I took a, an ember, one of a red hot, small little, uh, bigger than a twig, but it wasn't huge. And I got it and I, said, I flicked it out away from the fire. I said, guys, I want you to watch that. Just keep your eye on it and watch it. What do you think happened to it? It went out. That's what the enemy wants to do. Isolate you. May we come together and proclaim. As clarinets and cellos and violins and pianos, we're coming together and we're going to sing the music of the gospel together. We're going to do that before we leave. I've gone on... Uh, way too long, but we're not cutting out either of these two songs. It's an opportunity for us to be propelled out. Let's stand together. And after I pray, Danny's going to sing over us. It's a song that is powerful. He basically instructing us. These are whistling lessons that he'll do. Then he'll, he'll call us to proclaim this together. And guys, don't be watching. I don't care if you're singing in tune or out of tune. Sing. Scriptures say make a joyful noise. It doesn't say anything about being in tune. I mean, it's preferable. We like these guys to be in tune. But Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I've been doing, did I mention that earlier in the service? I've been doing some quiet time stuff in Nehemiah. The rebuilding of the wall, after the wall was finished, they got together, read the word of God, and he said to them, the joy of the Lord, that's your strength. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have right now in the midst of whatever darkness we're dabbling in, grappling with, succumbing to, uh, that's on top of us and piled up over us. I thank you for the hope of the gospel in the midst of that. I thank you for Northland Church. I thank you for this season. And it's no accident that every person here, every person online has been called to hear you together from Paul on this particular passage. So now, before we move back out into the darkness, can we bring our violins and our cellos and our clarinets and our pianos and some of our instruments are pretty beaten up right now, but we want to together acknowledge that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you'll do.